It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. My guest is Martin Harris, writer, teacher, and poker reporter, who has covered the game for the last dozen years, and he's author of the new book, Poker and Pop Culture, Telling the Story of America's Favorite Card Game, published by D&B Publishing and available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and all the usual places. And you can follow Martin on Twitter at HardBoiledPoker. And Martin, welcome to the show. Hey, Ira. Thanks for having me. I found your book fascinating because it is eminently readable. It's not what I anticipated, which is getting into the weeds about technical aspects of poker. And I found something out that you would think everybody knew. I didn't know, but it is a uniquely American game. Oh, well, that's great to hear, first of all, that it's that's readable. That was certainly an aim when I wrote the book. Um, it's kind of, as well, I assume we'll probably talk about it. it, it this book kind of comes out of a college course that I've been teaching and I did not want the book to sound too much like me lecturing or, you know, it being kind of a hard academic kind of read. And so that's great to hear. Yeah. And that's you've you've hit on kind of a main theme of the book, and that is to kind of show readers that poker is not just sort of an important game in, in American history and culture, but it also is kind of reflective of America in a lot of ways that maybe aren't so obvious. Um, in terms of, uh, you know, values and, and ideals and ways people think of what America means. Uh, poker seems to reflect it in a lot of ways. And then, of course, all these examples of poker in American popular culture tend to prove both those arguments. That and you do cover all the popular, yeah, you do all cover all, you do cover all the popular culture, including m magazines, books, TV, radio, theater, music. It just goes on in the boardroom even. So it goes on and on. So that's what I found it fascinating. I want to mention that the two courses that you teach are Poker in American Film and Culture and Tricky Dick, Richard Nixon, Poker and Politics, both at the University of North Carolina, Charlotte. And I have to start off right off because we should nail this down, Martin. How did you develop this obsession with poker? <laughs> it's a, well, it's a good question. I, I always played poker and card games and everything growing up. And... But I wasn't, I was, I guess I'm one of the millions who was affected by the boom, uh, when Chris Moneymaker won back in 2003 and it was all over ESPN and suddenly everybody was playing poker online and, and getting interested in it. And that's kind of when my, uh, obsession with it really was sparked along with lots of other people's. Um, I was a kind of a, you know, living a fairly normal life as a full-time uh, English professor at a small college in North Carolina. And then I got interested in poker and was playing it a lot and writing about it a lot. And then kind of a second career was developed out of that, where I began writing on a blog and then uh, for various sites. And then I went to the World Series of Poker and lots of other places to report on poker. And then it just kept going from there. Uh, and eventually I became the, the poker sort of side of things took over. And now that's kind of my full-time gig is writing about poker and 
doing that uh, for for a couple of different people. But then I also teach part time, and so I'm teaching these courses over at UNC Charlotte and developed the one. Uh, they have a, an American Studies program where these courses fit very nicely, and I teach the one called Poker and American Film and Culture, where we we do the history of poker, but then we also look at movies and, and literature and other places where poker pops up. Are your so student, that kind of led to the book. Are your students surprised that poker has had such an impact on popular culture over the decades? Yeah, I think uh, generally speaking, they end up, I think just like readers of this book, I would imagine, um, they come away somewhat surprised at just how prevalent poker has been and that it just turns up in so many places we almost don't even notice it because we are so used to you know the references to poker and you know like in politics or business or you know all these places where it it will come up these metaphors these poker uh, terms and, and ideas from poker like bluffing and so forth that we're so used to it it's kind of like the air and we just breathe it in and but then you get into a course like that one or you read this book and you, you find out it gets sort of put before you and you realize that it's, it's everywhere. And the people, the students who take the course, um, some of them are already, you know, poker people. They're already players and interested in poker. But a lot of them aren't really specifically, uh, they don't necessarily know a lot about poker when they sign up for the course. It just looks like kind of an interesting one. You don't uh, you don't push your students into becoming addicts though, do you? <laughs> That's a, no, I mean we we do. I used to teach it face to face. Now I teach it uh, just online. Um, but when we taught when we met as a as a class, I would actually bring in chips and cards, and we would at the beginning of the course I would play poker with them, and mainly just to get them for those who didn't know how to play poker. I wanted them to at least have an idea how the game is played and the rules for like, draw and stud and hold them because we were going to be reading so much about these games and I wanted them to be able to follow, you know, what, when a hand was being described, I want them to be able to, to understand what was going on. But yeah, I'm, I make a big disclaimer in the course. I don't, there's no requirement to be a poker player before you sign up for the course and you're not going to learn how to how to win at poker in the course. We, we <laughs> yeah. talk a little bit of strategy. But I'm definitely not teaching them how to how to go out and be poker players. I thought a great publicity stunt would have been for the police to raid your class for gaming or <laughs> gambling, I should say. Uh, it, it, you know, playing poker, and yet, of course, obviously, you're playing with chips and no money. But it still would have been a great local news story. Yeah, I always I I've told that story before, where I would always sort of keep an eye on the door and wonder, you know, what would what people thought as they were. You know, maybe peeking in. Yeah, exactly. It's not your typical academic fair. But yeah. you you do have an academic voice. You can see that you're a professor. I can hear that you're a professor just how on how you talk. But the part that I found also interesting, well, the, the book, as I said earlier, was is very readable. And you cover a lot of areas. One of the particular areas you talk about, and again, surprising to me, was Las Vegas and how poker really was not the golden boy, so to speak, or the golden child of Las Vegas, as people would expect it to be, based on the rest of American culture, it seemed to take a back seat to a lot of other games and influences. Yeah, that's right. I have, uh, there's all these, in the book, there's chapters where I talk about poker being played in different contexts. And so there's poker in the home and poker in clubs, uh, poker in 
you know, the saloons and the steamboats and, and all these places. And then I have my chapter about poker and casinos. And I did have to make that point that uh, when it came to sort of the history of casinos, and of course, I'm only I'm covering this kind of quickly in just one chapter. But, you know, we talk about the birth of Las Vegas and the, uh, the, all of the big casinos that arrived. Um, and really, during its entire history, poker has kind of played a somewhat minor role relative to other casino games, certainly in terms of the, the revenue being produced. And that's still the case where it's very small, like 1% or, or, or so um, of what casinos are bringing in. Uh, poker is a very kind of minor player uh, when it comes to that side of things. And then even, and of course I'm talking about poker and popular culture, and so even in the movies and, and in other depictions of Vegas, um, if you look closely, some of them, you know, they're playing poker, but a lot of them they're playing other games. They're playing, you know, blackjack or roulette or so on. And the, and the whole kind of um, presentation of this gambling capital of the U.S. and of the world doesn't necessarily foreground poker quite as much as maybe we might think, especially people who are kind of already in the poker world, they tend to kind of exaggerate the importance of, of poker in some context. Why is that, though? Why is it poker didn't have an immediate impact in Las Vegas and come to the forefront, so to speak, of all the different games available? I think it's mainly, you know, there's a fundamental difference between poker and these other casino games where you, instead of uh, playing against the house, you have players playing against one another. And so in order for the house to make money, they have to take some rake and, and, and you know do it in a different way. And so it's not necessarily as lucrative uh, for the house to, to basically just sort of be a host to this kind of game. And so I think that was recognized early on. And, and there's obviously sort of with tournament poker and all kinds of, there's ways of, of really making poker generate a lot of interest in the casinos. And actually, a lot of in a lot of cases, it's used as a way of kind of uh, attracting customers and who, who will then go and gamble in the other games where they get sort of more direct revenue, but it's sort of an indirect way of, of bringing people into the casino. Right. They do get, I'm sure, food and beverage out of the players. Uh, they probably get, uh, the players sometimes will go see entertainment at the casino. So there's, there is revenue coming in, but you're right. It's not exactly the most profitable game in the casino from the house side. Right. And so in the chapter, I was able to, one of the things I got to do for the book, which was really beneficial and, and a lot of fun, was I got to do this fellowship over at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, and visit their Center for Gaming Research and their special collections. And so I actually was able to use, they have, of course, a lot of great data on the casinos. We should do a shout out to David Schwartz as well. Exactly. He was he was an important person for me early in, in the development of the book and then, and then near the end when I got to do that fellowship. And so he, um, yeah, so it was great to go uh, work over there and consult their archives. And of course, he's compiled and the, the center has compiled all this great information that really just shows you just sort of how many tables there have been and how poker has how revenue from poker has compared to overall revenue in casinos. Before you started this research, what made you decide to actually do a book on poker and pop culture? In other words, yes, you had an interest in it, and yes, you're writing about it, but still, 
a book is a major endeavor. So what was the defining moment for you as to why you felt you needed to write this book? I think I was, it, it kind of combines a couple of interests of mine because I was, as an academic, my interest was actually already in, in popular culture. I would write about, I wrote articles about movies and um, television and things like that. And so I was sort of writing these academic pieces uh, in that that were exploring that sort of thing. Uh, and then when I got interested in poker and I wrote about poker, I realized, I started writing about poker, I realized that really it was the stories that poker generated that was especially interesting to me. And so I began reading all those stories. I read a lot of, uh, you know, all the great poker books like uh, by Al Alvarez and Anthony Holden and James McManus's book, Positively Fifth Street. And then he wrote a history called Cowboys Full. And really reading all those books kind of inspired me to think about, well, do I have, you know, is this interest that I have uh, in poker, is, is, is there may be enough there to do something similar. And then I began writing for various outlets. I was writing columns about, basically, uh, about poker and pop culture. So I was writing about, you know, movies that involved poker and examples of poker and literature and, and so forth. And there was enough material there that I, ha- I had a pretty good head start when I decided to sit down and actually do a book. I had a lot to kind of draw from uh, and reshape and, and present uh, as this book. And so that's kind of, I, I think mainly I was inspired by just reading other other people writing about poker and realizing how, how much there is to say about the game and, and to share about it. And that got me going. And as you said, you had a lot of material in some of your previous columns, which pointed you in certain directions and also gave you a nice base to build on in terms of additional information as you went down that road. Yeah, I mean, that was a big help. It was also, I mean, one of the things I ended up having to do, the book is, is not a short book. I don't think it's too long, but it's definitely a, you know, you pick it up and there's some weight there. And I, I definitely had to cut out a lot. Like, I couldn't include everything. And this is something, I actually talked with James McManus shortly after he published Cowboys Full, which is a kind of a, a history of poker. That and, and he told me something similar, where he had written about twice as much as, as what ended up being published. And, and it's true, you go down these sort of all these different rabbit holes in the history of poker. And, and especially when you open yourself up to not just writing about the history of the game, but also writing about how the game has been portrayed, you know, in, in fiction and drama and films and music. And, and, and you realize it's kind of an endless task that you've given yourself. Yeah, you have to kind of cut yourself off at some point to get the yeah, book done. When I was all done, I was going back and I was counting up like, I think I talk about something like 130 different movies and, you know, there's like, uh, you know, maybe uh, there's similarly uh, large numbers of television shows and songs and so forth that I talk about. And it's, it's there's still more. You know, I could have talked about <laughs> It could have uh, it could have been even more than, than what I ended up being able to include. So it was that was a challenge for sure. Let's take a break. My guest Martin Harris is author of the new book Poker and Pop Culture, telling the story of America's favorite card game. Published by D and B Publishing and available at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and all the usual places. And you can follow Martin on Twitter at Hard Boiled Poker. We'll be right back. 
We'll be back with more Talk About Las Vegas with Ira in just a moment. There's something new at the Neon Museum. The emerging technology of light mapping brings old signs back to life. Forgotten artifacts of our past that once blazed in the Las Vegas night are reanimated in a dazzling immersion of sight and sound. You've never seen anything like it because there's never been anything like it. Brilliant, a Neon Museum experience. Performances nightly. Join the experience now at neonmuseum.org. Now let's get back to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Welcome back. I'm talking with Martin Harris. He's a writer, teacher, and poker reporter who has covered the game for the last dozen years and is author of the new book, Poker and Pop Culture, Telling the Story of America's Favorite Card Game, published by D&B Publishing and available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and all the usual places. And you can follow Martin on Twitter at hardboiledpoker. Martin, when you finally cut it off and decided to write the book, meaning cut off the research and now put the book together. What was the most surprising thing that you discovered about poker that you didn't know before? Well, I think other people have asked me this question. and I Well, then I'm going to retract my question, Martin. I only like to ask questions that nobody has asked before. <laughs> oh, I, I, no, actually, I like the question. And I actually have a good, I finally have a good answer. Good. All right. Here we go. <laughs> um, it's a good question. And I think what kind of surprised me the most, it was something that I wasn't, I didn't completely find, you know, something that I didn't anticipate entirely. But I realized uh, as I was collecting all of these examples of poker in, you know, in films and in television shows and in all these different uh, contexts where poker was being used as kind of a, a way to generate plots or, you know, help flesh out characters or, you know, present certain themes and so forth. That, that poker was so often being presented in a negative way. Uh, you know, for instance, just take westerns, like television westerns, for instance. Uh, the great majority of them, you're sitting down for a, a half hour show and you'll get the, the game going on in the saloon and somebody cheats and the guns come out and it's a source of trouble, right? Right. So poker is essentially being presented as, as something that creates problems for the individuals who participate in this game. And that was such a pervasive way of representing poker that I realized that this was kind of, and it's something I addressed right at the beginning of the book, actually, is how poker, you know, when people think of poker, and especially those who are influenced by the way poker has been presented in popular culture, that it's not necessarily a, a, a favorable thing, which is paradoxical in a way because it's such a popular game. Millions and millions play poker and love poker, but it also, it's, it's kind of, it's, uh, not only is it America's favorite card game, but it's America's favorite game to criticize or censure or prohibit uh, or, or write laws against and so forth. And so that was probably, for me, uh, the most surprising thing that it, it, it was such a it was such a uh, an ongoing theme when it came to the, the story of, of poker in popular culture of it being presented in a negative way. That wasn't always the case, of course, but it, it's uh, it's kind of a major part of the story. You mentioned that that it hasn't always been the case. Is it still the case, or has it been modified somewhat by the popularity, the increasing popularity of poker? 
Yeah, I think that it's changed somewhat. I think it's still the case for a lot of people. A lot of people still associate poker with gambling without any kind of qualifications and think of gambling as something, you know, morally objectionable. Um, and then therefore you have negative opinions about poker as sort of a source of trouble. And then of course you go back to the old West and this legacy of the outlaws playing poker and, and you know, violence and associating it with, with other sort of things that might be thought of by some as morally objectionable. That's still true for, for some people. I think that the boom and televised poker and kind of the, the introduction of poker into all these other kind of contexts has shown to a, a decent percentage of people that that poker is a skill game or it's a game that people can win uh, consistently at if they improve their skills and that it's not necessarily to be dismissed as detrimental or something that's going to have negative influence upon individuals or society as a whole. And so it's not necessarily censured in that way so immediately as maybe was the case, say, 20, 30 years ago and before. But there's still definitely those who object to poker. And so that's still sort of part of the story. Do you look at poker today, and given technology and the fact that there's online poker, there's electronic poker in some cases in the casinos. Do you see the old-fashioned, I'll use that term old-fashioned, or the standard poker table and poker room going away in casinos, particularly in Las Vegas? It's hard to imagine it going away entirely. It just seems like there's something kind of central to the game that would preclude that from happening. There have been attempts, you know, as you as you know, there's been attempts to introduce the electronic tables and to kind of get rid of dealers and cards and chips and all these kinds of uh, elements of the game that, we, that we've grown used to. And it and they haven't really worked that well or they haven't proved popular enough to sustain those attempts. And so it, it's hard to imagine that going away. Obviously, technology is it's affected our lives in so many ways, you know, even in the last 10, 20 years that we maybe didn't anticipate. And so it's hard to really predict and, and to be confident about what's going to happen. But I kind of feel like that's always going to be part of the game, that the game is always going to be involving cards and chips and being played for money. And it's going to be hard to, if you take any of those elements away, it's going to be hard to, to actually call it poker, at least the way that we've understood it. Demographically speaking, though, are the poker rooms filled with middle-aged people, or are they a mix of old, middle, and younger demographics coming in? I studied that somewhat, and I can I can say, you know, confidently that the average age of the poker players has gone down, certainly, uh, in the last 20, 30 years. It was a game that, in fact, if you look at some of these studies, there's one that I talk about in the book. It was David Hayano's great book called Poker Faces from the early 80s, where he offered a lot of data about the average age of, of players, and it was it was much older, 40s, 50s, and that today you see, you definitely see younger players involved, but it's still a game that's enjoyed a lot by the older players. If you look at some of the numbers that the WSOP put out this summer um, regarding the average age of, of players playing uh, in the in the events, it's maybe uh, higher than you would anticipate. People in their late 30s and, and 40s are, are making up the majority of the the field. They just finished up in Vegas 
Right. Um, and then they put out all this data about demographics, uh, and you find out that the, the average age of the people who played the main event and so forth, that it's still a game that's played. There are a lot of younger people playing it, but they're, they're, it's, it's very popular among, among older players as well. I see in home games, people that play in homes or in centers or places not, for example, the, in the World Series of Poker or in casinos, it seems to be a sociable game. But I also know that if you watch some of these poker games on television, it doesn't look that sociable. Is poker a sociable game overall? I think that most people who play and enjoy poker believe it is. So that's why, that's in fact kind of a primary motive for most people who play poker. Uh, is the social aspect of the game. And they're not really in, in it to uh, try to make a living or try to make uh, exorbitant sums of money uh, all the time. And I think that when we watch poker on television, sometimes it gives kind of a little bit of a skewed perspective. Uh, and it makes us sort of think, we see these guys sitting around the table not talking and being extremely sort of stoic and not emotional a lot of the time. And especially when we're watching some of the best players play poker, they're not making mistakes or they don't appear to. And it doesn't really seem to be a very inviting game for most of us, you know, who aren't professionals or who aren't as skilled. And it looks like a very intimidating kind of environment to step into uh, and hardly sociable at all. But I think that that's a little bit misleading. I think that, you know, we see... We see this on TV sometimes, but that most people, it's that low stakes home game among friends, meeting every week or every other week or once a month. That's what poker is, uh, I think, for for most people. And it remains a real popular uh, recreation in that way. Yeah, that makes sense. What, from your perspective and your research and knowledge and expertise, what is the most challenging thing to, and I say thing, but what is the most challenging issue for poker today and in the near future? You mean as far as sort of uh, its its viability and and for, for, you know, those casinos and places that want to? Well, I think more from the point of view, there's because of online activity now, uh, and there's some regulation, I guess, to that. Well, not some. There's regulation to that. Is there a challenge for the future of poker, given technology, given certain need for regulations and rules and laws regarding online activity? Yeah, I think with, with online poker, it, I guess we could talk about them kind of as, as two separate things, but with online poker in America, it, there's a pretty significant challenge. Online poker was something that, in fact, in the book, I refer to it as a version of poker that today is largely, it's available to people in other countries, but in America, it mostly is not. That I kind of, in fact, the analogy I, I draw is, I, I make a comparison with driving without seat belts or smoking on planes, these things that used to be pretty commonplace, but which are essentially no more. And that's kind of what's happened with online poker in America is back in 2011 uh, that the the major poker sites that operate all over the world, they were shut out of America due to uh, actions by the Department of Justice. And so since then, Americans essentially have not been able to play online poker except in a few states. Nevada is one of them. 
and, and it's only in a, in a small way where you're only getting to play with a small player pool and the game therefore is not as, there's not as much liquidity and it's not as, as inviting as it was before 2011, uh, when Americans were able to play against people from all over the world. And so there remains, and it's an ongoing thing in all the different states, there's all these legal battles about not just poker, but online gambling and in some cases, there's been some breakthroughs, but there's a, it's a huge struggle. And it seems to be the case that that's going to remain so for poker, especially going forward. Things are changing a little bit. As you know, there's sports betting is now arriving in lots of different states and, and also different types of online gambling. Legislators are starting to talk. They're beginning to talk about those things more and more. Uh, but it's still a great challenge for online poker. I think that poker, poker face, those who want to sort of fight for poker and, 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 and argue that it ought to be allowed and ought to be uh, something that Americans should be able to play on their computers in their homes, they face a lot of challenges. And some of it goes back to the, you know, to the early days of, of poker and this legacy of, of cheating and, and of other sort of ways of, of of poker being represented as a, as a dangerous activity. And so they're still kind of fighting against all that, even though it's, it's way back in history. Well, I think that's a great way to leave it. My guest has been Martin Harris. He's author of the new book, Poker and Pop Culture, telling the story of America's favorite card game, published by D&B Publishing and available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and all the usual places. And you can follow Martin on Twitter at Hard Boiled Poker. And Martin, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. Hey, Las Vegas.